You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. After you're done meeting and greeting, you can turn to this passage up on the board, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. And we are uh, in the habit of kind of helping you turn to the passage in your own Bible. So either pull out your electronic Bible or one of the paper Bibles on your table. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just one verse today, verse 5. We'll start off reading this. And um, if you don't know, the Mill Sunday School, we do topics by month. This month, we are in the topic of conspiracy theories. Uh, kind of a fun elective topic we've chosen for the summer. Um, but this verse, I think, has something to say about how we should reflect our thoughts towards conspiracy theories. And it says this. It says, we cast down imaginations. And so I think part of conspiracy theory is having an imagination and fear. And um, so anyways, we cast down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read it again and consider these words um, for the bigger picture today as we talk about conspiracy theories, that we cast down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. God, we pray that this verse would be true to us today, that we can cast down imagination and thoughts that are not of you, that we can take every thought captive to you and to the obedience of Christ. God, as we talk about conspiracy theories today and and thoughts that can distract us from who you are and what you are doing, God, I pray that you will be um, glorified and honored here this morning. We worship and we praise your name, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. So I've been thinking a lot about... um, conspiracy theories, and uh, in doing this lecture, sometimes you just feel like, like people are like out to get you and like watching you. And so like I had a dream, like I was teaching at Sunday school, and there was like guys like out to get me and like to, um, you know, find me. And they're like security guys, like, 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 like secret service guys out to get me. And, and it's just like just thinking and talking about conspiracy theories. Maybe I'm getting paranoid. Anybody else paranoid? Like people are watching them and following them. Anybody at all? No. (laughs) Got the radios. Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) That's just some friends of mine. They're cool. Let's give them a round of applause. What's funny is I think they're locked out now. Anyways, um, so welcome to the Most Sunday School, uh, where I'm, my, the premise of today's talk, thanks guys, you guys did great, you looked like the guys that are out to get us or something, um, well done. Um, my premise kind of for this month and today is that conspiracy theories, um, last week we talked about how they cause worry and fear and, and that's not good, and today I'm going to talk about how it can distract us from a Christ-centered um, walk and a Christ-centered life. And so that's kind of the bigger picture of today. And so also bear with me, I, I have a figurative frog in my throat. Um, I have a little sore throat, so if you hear me coughing or ralphing or whatever, just bear with me. 
It'll be fun. So, um, so this month's conspiracy theories. Next month is uh, we're going to talk about finances, God, and money. And actually, the last Sunday of this month, before we talk about God and money, in, in August, uh, my wife and I are having a baby who's due. His name's Rowan. And uh, so I figured I'm not going to try to force, uh, like, teaching and pre- pre- uh, preparing for a lesson the week our child is born. So the last week of this month, uh, I'm going to have Brad Baker, who's brand new to the New Life staff, and he was on staff with Saddleback Church in California. That's Rick Warren's church. And so he's going to be sharing in a couple weeks um, just a, a kind of a standalone message, and that's the reason why, because we might be at the hospital having a baby. So that's fun. Um, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's cards on your table. You could fill one of those out. Give it to the nice people as you leave. We have a little gift baggie for you full of new life coolness, like uh, our book by our pastor, Brady Boyd. Uh, I think there's a CD in there of some Mill worship songs. And of course, the Mill Sunday School's, um, <coughs> excuse me, Mill Sunday School sponsored by the Mill, our college and 20-somethings ministry. But you don't have to be in college or 20-something. You'll be younger or older than that. Perfectly okay. So let's get started, shall we? We shout. Conspiracy theories. Um, I kind of want to review a little bit. And last week we talked about conspiracies and worry. I, I made the argument that no conspiracy ends with like good news. It's like the government is out to get you, not out to help you in a conspiracy theory. Aliens are out to destroy us um, in a conspiracy theory. Um, people are out to follow you so they can harm you, not to give you cash or something in a conspiracy theory. And I tied it into the, the passage that we were studying at the mill on a Friday night and the, the passage that we talked about in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday morning, which was don't worry. Jesus says don't worry. And so for that reason, because so many conspiracy theories are surrounded by fear and worry and gossip and um, don't worry, conspiracy theories are not the best thing for us. And I talked about this idea of what a conspiracy theory is and reviewed this idea Uh, We put up this idea that this is how we should usually think, consider Scripture. This is how science works. We start with observation. We see things. We see the natural order of the world around us. We make some patterns. We have some tentative hypothesis. And then we come to a theory. And that's usually how science works. That's how we should study the Bible, by reading it, not going to the Bible with our own um, theory or belief, and then try to find... Uh, passages of scripture. It's called proof texting. If you're like, I have this idea, let me go into scripture to prove this idea. Um, That's kind of a backwards way of thinking. It would be an upside down way of thinking where you have a theory first (coughs) and then you work your way to finding observation. So for instance, you could make a crazy theory like, um, um, I don't know, like, oh, it's not about like the flood. Like uh, my wife and I, we live in Manitou. So there's been some flooding um, down our street, and it's like, you could come up with a theory like, oh, the flooding is caused by the government because the government wants to get rid of the hippies or something, if you know Manitou at all. Um, and so you could try to find evidence to support that theory, but it's just a bad theory to begin with. And so you could be like, oh, I saw the other day a police was arresting a hippie-looking guy, so police are out to get us. They must have caused the floods. To uh, it's, It'd be ridiculous to think of a theory and then go find proof for it, but rather um, we should start with observation and work our way to a theory instead of the other way around. So that's one of the other things about why the thinking of a conspiracy theory is somewhat flawed. And what's interesting is that I think we as Christians um, all have tendencies 
towards believing some of the things, some of the things about, um, I don't know, like big government or Obama's out to get you or a liberal agenda or conspiracy theories in the end times. Um, There's lots I think we as Christians can be vulnerable to with these conspiracy theories. In fact, uh, when I was looking up the 2 Corinthians 10.5 verse that I read for you all about uh, casting down imagination and holding every thought captive, so I went to BibleGateway.com. Anybody visit that site? It's a cool site. It has a Bible, the versions. It's an awesome uh, way to read the Bible and to look up things. Um, but on the side, a little banner ad was for um, this. And I was like, man, this is, I'm, I'm reading a verse that's kind of about conspiracy theories. And then here's this ad for Christians um, which is kind of conspiracy theory related. You might disagree, but um, it's, it says, Jerusalem prayer team, what every believer should know about what's happening in Israel today. And so I clicked on it. And if you click on it, it goes to, um, if you want to receive a report about what's going on in Israel today, then you can sign up. And I was like, well, I'll just sign up to see what happens. So I signed up and then it comes to me emailed and it says like, uh, what did it say? <coughs> it said, intelligence briefing on Israel and I was like, ooh. Um, <laughs> and it said, uh, what, every, uh, what liberal media doesn't want you to know, here's the facts. Don't share this with anybody. So it was like kind of wrapped in secrets and conspiracy. And what it was was about four or five pages of just fear about fear of terrorists, fear of war, fear of destructions, fear of bombings, fear of they're out to get us and attack us and kill us. And the Bible says that, you know, this, this, and this. And so we should be afraid. We should get... And so it's just... Lots of fear and worry, and I think uh, with a broader idea, conspiracies around like the end times in Israel. And I think uh, I'm, with today's message, I'm kind of calling some of us, um, if we're in a, in a spirit of fear thinking about the end times, or in a spirit of fear and thinking about big government getting us, or uh, a liberal agenda out to take away our belief, or this, this, some of these things are just not good for us to have as Christians and some of them we might just need to repent of and say, maybe we have been worried as a community of Christ. Um, we've been worried. We've been sharing some conspiracy theories and getting other Christians to worry and <coughs> do things that would like, like doomsday prepping or something like that. And I think some of us as Christians, maybe all of us in some way, need to repent and say, God, we need to lay aside every imagination and we need to put away everything that exalts itself to the knowledge of God and bring it to uh, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, like the verse 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. So um, let's get into a case study of a conspiracy theory, shall we? Okay. I picked this one because um, I wanted to look specifically at a conspiracy theory that many of you were interested in. So last week I had cue cards on all the tables, and you wrote down a conspiracy theory that would be fun and, and good to talk about here in the Mill Sunday School, something that's relevant to Christianity. And we got all kinds of cards. Somebody said uh, zombies, we got aliens, we got uh, big government, we got all kinds of cards. Uh, no two of them were the same, except for I think I got three of them that were Bible code and a couple more that were uh, Da Vinci Code. And so today I wanted to talk about one of those, uh, and that is the Bible Code. And if you don't know about the Bible Code, there's, it was kind of big in the late 90s. Anybody old enough to remember the late 90s? Okay, good. Um, so I know some of you were probably just born then, but um, 
Whatever. So the Bible code is very different than the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code was uh, a book and then turned into a movie, a fiction about uh, some secret societies. Uh, it talked about Jesus and Mary uh, potentially having kids. And then there's a bloodline of like divine people. Um, lots of weird, interesting, historical fiction stuff in the Da Vinci Code. The Bible Code, very different. So the Bible Code, this particular book, I went to the library and got it. There's Bible Code 1, there's Bible Code 2, there's Bible Code 3, um, then there's, uh, so this one, this one's like the main one. This one came out in 1997, this one was a year later, cracking the Bible Code uh, in 98, and then this one, the Apocalypse Code, that there's codes in the Bible that... Um, like predict end times events and things like that. And I remember my, there was just some people within my youth group that got really into this whole Bible code thing. And they were like, um, Joe, it's awesome. We're living in an age where computers can crack codes within the text of scripture. <clears throat> At no other time have we had computers to crack codes. And so we must be living in the end times. There's messages for me. And so they would type in this. So they like got the program from somewhere uh, and would like type in their names and see if their name was in the text of scripture, um, like literally in the coded text. And then like, were there words surrounding their name, like when they would die or like what they would be when they grew up or who they would marry? Um, they were really into this thing. And, it, and it's all, if you don't know too much about the Bible code, it basically works on this idea of specifically um, the most popular one to take is the Torah. <coughs> you know what the Torah is? First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So you take the Hebrew text, the words, uh, the letters, you line it all up. So this has rows of like 25. And so like starting in Genesis, you line it all up, and then you find um, words and phrases. And you could find it um, like, like a crossword puzzle, I guess. Um, <coughs> and so the book starts off with this really interesting story that kind of grabs you. Um, if you the first couple pages are about how he found the code. Um, and it said... He said he found the words Itzak Rabin, which is a guy uh, who is uh, the leader over Israel in the late 90s. And even though this book came out in 1997, um, it says that he knew that Itzak Rabin uh, was going to be assassinated. And he was assassinated in 1995, and the book came out a couple years later. So it's kind of a weird that, oh, like, you, really, you really predicted that, then why didn't the book come out in 1994? Anyways, um, but basically you type in these words, like whatever word you want to think of. You could type in the word Obama and see where Obama's name potentially is phonetically written in the Hebrew, either up or down or sideways. And so that's what Bible Code 3 is about. It talks about the CIA and the Illuminati and end time stuff and Obama and all these cool things that are interesting and conspiracy theory related and yet there's a big problem with, I think, um, I hope you'll agree with me, there's a big problem with viewing the Bible as codes. Like, oh, what's it telling me specifically? And I think whether it's the Bible code or whether it's um, maybe just people 
like finding codes, like, like the numbers in Daniel or little codes in Revelation, or if you've ever like just flipped open the Bible to a page and said, God, give me a message right now. Uh, that's kind of this idea of looking for codes. So I want to give you a discussion question for you to think about. And basically, it's just like, what is wrong with the Bible code approach of finding codes for you uh, in the text of Scripture? So whether you know a little or a lot about specifically the Bible code, um, you get the, the discussion questions more general than that. Like, what's wrong with this type of code finding in the Bible? I think there's a lot wrong with it. And so maybe as a table, you could list some of the things that are wrong with this code finding in the Bible. So, ready? Get set. Discuss. Okay, I have a mic. I would love to hear if you have ideas. Uh, what's wrong with the Bible code, this code stuff in the Bible? So here's Aaron Higgins. So anytime anyone claims that they have a special understanding of Scripture or a, that they have a hidden knowledge of Scripture, uh, the, the New Testament actually deals with this. They were called the Gnostics. Um, they claimed a special knowledge, a special understanding of the Bible. Um, and so all you have to do is look at Scripture and say, well, if anyone claims that they have a special understanding, an understanding that transcends ev- what everyone else uh, who study theology is saying, then look to how the Bible dealt with that. The Gnostics were, were cast out and, and cut off from the church. And so that's, that's, I think, the way that we need to, to approach this is there isn't anything special here. The Bible is written for us, not in spite of us or uh, to hide something from us. Yeah, that's good. So this code finding, a secret code finding, it's just not how the text of Scripture is supposed to be. It's supposed to be for everyone that we could read it and in context. Anything else? Some more ideas? Yes. John, this guy's last name is McIver, not to be confused with McIver. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. I just had a, it's like, How do you answer after that? Yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the proverb says to not rely on your own understanding. Yeah. I think that's a, a big piece of it. So not to rely on your own understanding. It's like, ooh, I got this secret code thing that I found all by myself. It's like, no, this, the knowledge that's in the text of Scripture it's for all of us. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about simple exegesis and hermeneutics, like day one stuff talks about how we should understand what the Bible is saying within its context, not secret code stuff. Yes. Yeah, Caitlin. I agree. I think that the Bible code is kind of consumerish. Like, yeah. it's what you can get out of it. Right. You could type your own name into it. Right. And then Nikki was pointing out how, like, when you're looking for something in the Word, like, you search for weeks, maybe, trying to find this answer to a question you have. But if you just type it into a code, it's taking the relationship out of the search. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. That's good. Um, there's other things, like on a practical level, that I'll talk about in just a second that are wrong with the Bible code. Um, it's an interesting idea, but... There's statistically something wrong with it. So, yes. What I got from it was a, it has a lure of mystery that undermines the simplicity of the word. Good. Say that again. It's a, a lure of mystery. Lure, under, yeah, the lure of mystery. It's something curious, a variance. It gives you ideas. And yeah. It opens up, opens up to a world where things can cre- deception can creep in. Yeah. And it opens the door to more conspiracy theories. Sure, yeah. It's a quenchless thirst. Yeah, it's like, ooh, I got the secret. It's like, oh, 
You know, don't just read the Torah or God's law for what it is. Like, ooh, you've got to look for these secret codes and secret passages. So here's, on, on a practical level, there's a lot wrong with the Bible code. And if you, if you go to, like, a Google search and type in the Bible code, and like, what's wrong with the Bible code? Is this thing legit? You'll get some, like, statisticians saying, no, it's not legit. Because you can put in, um, like, the Bible, like, the words can be any... Uh, any amount of columns you want. You could have 15 columns. You could have 100 columns. And so you just try different columns until you get your word to appear. And furthermore, it's like, well, you could, it's not like your word, but it's like the phonetics of your word. And there's different ways in the Hebrew you can spell. Like, for instance, my name is Joe, J-O-E. So you could, you could have different Hebrew letters with different phonetical um, I guess, pronunciations of Joe. You could say, I don't know, I don't know how else you could pronounce Joe, but like Itzhak Rabin would be a, maybe a better example. You could pronounce it a little funny if you tried to make it fit. Furthermore, in Hebrew, uh, the, the English language, how many letters do we have in our alphabet? <laughs> Different numbers. <laughs> Usually 26. Uh, Hebrew only has 22, so there's less, there's less uh, letters, so it's easier to create patterns. Aleph, Bet, Bet, Gimel, Dalahe, Vav, Zion, Hetet, Yod, Kaf, Kaf, Lamed, Mem, Nun, Zion, uh, Samic. Ah, I forgot the. I took Hebrew way back in the day. I think I just got 18 out of the 22. That ain't bad. Um, but anyways, the, the, the way vowels work in Hebrew... Um, there's no vowels. The vowels are like these symbols underneath and over the, the words. So like you could add your own vowels in. So it's much easier to um, find word patterns if you're just lining up consonants. And furthermore, people that, statisticians who are um, against the Bible code would say something like, look, if you take any other book, let's just take a fiction book like Moby Dick and, and type in the code and you could, you could arrange it into any columns you want and you could either find words uh, forwards, backwards, you could skip letters, you can go diagonal, you can go diagonal backwards. You're going to find the same kind of codes in the text of any other book the size of, for instance, the Bible. So that's what's wrong with the Bible code specifically. And this bigger idea of just like this, this mystery. He said it best, like this, ooh, this secret knowledge. I think this is why like Esquire magazine or these, like, I don't even know, what, what's the genre of magazines? It's like false news for the purpose of entertainment. Um, you've probably all seen the, uh, the newspapers, you know, in, in the checkout line. And there's like these crazy titles, you know, like Bat Boy gives birth to cowgirl or something. You're like, what in the world? Who's, is there really a bat boy? Um, What in the world? Um, It's like, no, it's it's news for entertainment. It's like, ooh, secret mystery (coughs) kind of stuff. And it's not the way scripture is meant to be read. Aaron Higgins said it really well. Scripture is meant to be read in the context it was written. Um, and so th- this is like day one stuff. Of, of If you've been coming to the Middle Sunday School, we constantly like refer back to this idea that we receive our truth from Scripture, and we don't receive the truth in codes. We, we receive the truth in accordance to the passage and how it was written, who it was written to, the author, the audience, the genre, are very important things for us. And 
<laughs> I'll often talk about this phrase. I think I first remember hearing it, hearing it from uh, Glenn Packiam, who said, um, I, don't, I don't think he coined the term. It goes back um, to lots of people would, would say something like this. <coughs> and when you read it first, it's like, oh, this is, what's it saying? Uh, but let me explain. It says, the Bible's not written to us, but for us. Have you heard anyone say that before? Or me, if you've been coming to Sunday school, you've probably heard that phrase before. This idea that, well, the text of Scripture, let's say the book of Corinthians. Who's it written to? Corinthians, uh, living in the first century. So it's not written to us, the Mill Sunday School, in 2013. It's written to the Corinthians, the churches, the house churches meeting in the city of Greece, Corinth, in the ancient time. So that's who it's written to. So we would need to see, you know, we would, we would go back and look at that context of who the author was, Paul, and who he was writing to, so that we could have in, correct interpretations for today, because the Bible's not written to us, but of course it is written for us. And it still applies, but we'd have to apply those things within the context in which it was written. So, um, that's a bigger idea, a much bigger idea of the secret mystery codes within Scripture. And people like to do this with... Um, the Bible code stuff, the, there's like numbers in the book of Daniel that you, you'll constantly hear different people like predicting the dates Jesus will come back. Uh, and usually, actually, they've all been wrong, um, every one of them. But sometimes it's like, oh, these days represent years times a thousand. So that's what these years mean. And the dream Daniel has, and there's different interpretations of that. Or uh, codes within the Olivet Discourse where Jesus talks about the end of times. Um, or Revelation, people will find numbers and codes. Um, and it's like, no, that's, that's not how, the, the Bible is not a mystery code book. The Bible's not written to us. The Bible's written for us. It's kind of a big idea that maybe we'll touch on a little bit next time as well. But I want to go back to this bigger idea that we're continually going back to this month. It's like, what's wrong with conspiracy theories? Well, last month, sorry, last week, we talked about the worry like besides worry, there's a lot wrong with conspiracy theories. And last week we talked about how conspiracy theories, there's no good news ones. They're all kind of like someone's out to get you. Someone's out to hurt you. The end of the world is near and you're all going to die. And you need to figure out this code. You need to figure out this conspiracy. The government's out to get you. Obama's out to get you. Uh, liberal people are out to get you. Hippies are out to get you. The police are out to get you. Everybody's out to get you. And there's a secret city underneath the Denver International Airport. And for, you know, ridiculous thoughts, conspiracies um, around some of those things. Um, but here's what I want to say. Besides worry, what's wrong with conspiracy theories? I'm going to try to make the argument in the next couple minutes that conspiracy theories are not Christ-centered. And so Christ should be the center of what we believe as Christians, how we do ministry, how we do church, how we treat each other. Christ should be the center of all that. And, and so there's this term theologically, it's called Christocentric. Have you heard that word before? It's kind of a theological term. It's a fun word to say. Everybody say it. One, two, three. Christocentric. Um, and of course, it's Christ is at the center of what we say, what we do as Christians. I think so many conspiracy theories are not Christ-centered. The, 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 the teachings of Christ, what Christ did are supplementary to some of these thoughts of, of a conspiracy theory. And I'll kind of close with this idea. 
we'll end a little early this morning with this idea of like maybe taking on the conspiracy of like Armageddon or the end of the world or doomsday. Um, there's lots of conspiracy theories that we as Christians can easily fall into. Um, they come in lots of different shapes and sizes. Um, the Israel thing or like the big government thing or um, whatever. And, and it's this idea that we need to figure out this code of what's going to happen in the end times so that we can get them before they get us. And the they is just, you know, fill in the blank with whoever you want they to be. Um, like we need to fight as Christians. We need to bunker up. We need to, um, you know, be extreme doomsday preppers. Anybody seen that? Is it the History Channel that has like doomsday preppers on it? Um, it's fascinating um, show. I watched a couple episodes in preparation. I was just like, these guys and gals are insane. They're crazy. Um, some of them like legitimately have fear problems and some of them uh, are Christians and they're like, well, you know, like in the Bible has plenty of stories of preppers. Like Noah was a prepper. Um, Joseph was a prepper. And it's like, no, I don't not like you guys. Um, it's a little different. Um, <coughs> this idea of like prepping um, for end times or Armageddon is like filling your basement full of food and like bunkering up and putting bars in all your windows and like digging a bunker and making barracks and getting ammunition and guns ready to kill everybody because they're going to be after you. They're going to try to steal your food because you're the only one that prepped um, and you're going to have the only food in the neighborhood. So you got to set up machine guns and kill all your neighbors when they try to come get your food. Um, it's like, well, you know, if, if that's not Christ-centric, um, I mean, Christ talked about selling all your possessions and giving to the poor. It's like, well, how can you be a prepper a conspiracy theorist that's you know prepping if you sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Christ talked about the golden rule: do unto others as they would uh, you would have them do unto you. Christ talked about sharing, even in uh, horrible circumstances. You know, like you only have one loaf of bread left, and instead of protecting it and shooting people trying to get your bread, you would share it. He was like, "This is maybe our last meal," but Christ would have us share it. Give your possessions away, share it, and hopes. And the future that Christ, God, would take care of you, even to the point of sharing your last meal with someone. Um, and I think there's just a lot of, besides the worry thing, in the conspiracy theory world, there's just a lot of, like, i got to figure this out. i got to, you know, prep myself so that I could get them. You know, go out, get them before they can get me. Um, and it's just a, a, not a very Christ-centered approach to life and living in a Christian viewpoint. I think this picture represents to me a lot of what Christ-centeredness is. This is, uh, I put it on the cover of the, the notes this morning. This is a pretty famous painting by the Spanish surrealist painter. You've probably heard of Salvador Dali before. And he was a pretty devout Catholic Christian who lived in Spain and was very influenced, of course, by Catholicism and the teachings of Christ. <laughs> and also very uh, influenced uh, by the atomic age. And he went through this, uh, Dolly went through this period of time where he was considering nuclear war. And uh, World War II had just happened, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, the bombs going off. And so this is kind of like a futuristic painting of Christ 
And the Last Supper, the disciples look like they're dressed in kind of futuristic uh, clothes. The building is kind of futuristic and kind of see-through. And, and I think Jesus is even kind of see-through if you see it just right. Um, this idea that he, he is coming back with a resurrected body. And it's this bigger approach that, that we can think about and dwell upon that <coughs> Christ is center, that Christ, this new world that's coming, this new kingdom that we as Christians are, are a part of and, and bringing down, you know, heaven is going to meet earth and the ways of <coughs> earth are going to be gone, but the ways of Jesus and his kingdom, when he talked about selling all you have and giving to the poor, when he talked about, you know, loving your enemies uh, of all people, and if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the left as well, a very upside-down kingdom to how this world works. But we are, like, in parallel with what is going to happen, with, with the way Christ is going to return in this new kingdom, this resurrection, and what heaven will be like is very Christ-centered. And so the things we can do to eliminate conspiracy theories, um, I think in some ways some of us maybe need to repent of fear and worry um, and um, just thoughts of uh, what, when conspiracies, this, this rattling fear that tries to get us and this idea that we need to be out there to get them before they can get us, that's not very Christ-centered. So I'll conclude with that. Uh, we'll end a little early, so uh, feel free to stick around and talk about conspiracy theories uh, with your buddies. But let's pray. Let's, let's really, I think as some of us need to get our minds Christ-centered. And so, Jesus, we turn to you now, and as you are our creator, you've told us to set aside imagination. You've told us to um, take every thought and make it captive to you, to the obedience of Christ. God, I pray that we do that as we've kind of this month taking this fun topic of conspiracies. There's so much depth here um, to, to worry, to doubt, to, to not being Christ-centered in our life and what we're thinking about and so, we, God, we give you our thoughts. We tell you that we want them to be Christ-centered and, and live our lives in a Christ-centered way. God, we give you all the, the, the glory. God, we do trust you with our lives and with our future. We worship you, Father. We, we give you all of our praise, all of our trust, and we love you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, uh, peace out. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.